Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm the luckiest man alive. I love you all so very much. It is an honor to be uh, the pastor of each of you. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 53 in the cafe, guys. I love you all too. It is a blessing to be together today. On one of the most beautiful Sundays ever, one first uh, really nice springtime kind of Sunday we've had. Looks like I'll get to mow my yard tomorrow. My wife says that there are crack houses with nicer landscaping than, <laughs> than, than my house. So uh, I've got to uh, get on it. It is pretty bad. It, it, is, it is bad. So y'all don't come see us uh, till after tomorrow. I'll try to mow. No tomorrow. It's so good, though, to be back in mowing weather. I just love it so much. Uh, I love it. And as I said, I just love being your pastor. Uh, everything about it, uh, everything about seeing you walk in on Sunday morning, everything about uh, sharing these messages, videos. I know it's spring break. I know a lot of our folks are actually in Florida or somewhere even warmer. And if any of you watch this video or listen to this audio podcast, thank you for being faithful. And y'all are thinking none of those people are going to watch this, aren't you, in Florida on the beach. They're not thinking about it. Us, but I have faith in our people out there. Uh, they will, uh, some of them will come back and connect. So we love you. Have a, have a, a good time at the beach, a good spring break, and enjoy, uh, enjoy your time with your family. Isaiah 53 is simply an amazing passage. This is another one of those messages in the series entitled Man of Sorrows, uh, trying to uh, follow God's Word, focusing on Christ, and lead us up to Easter. And Isaiah 53 is one of the most powerful passages for that. Even though many of you consider me your pastor, and, and technically I guess I, I am, or at least it's, it's become that way because uh, we've known each other so long, uh, I'm aware, and I think sometimes you're aware of the fact that you're not all believers. Uh, some of you really are not believers. Um, you're not even members of our church. You, you attend, and God bless you. I, I hope you'll always come. Um, but sometimes it, it's heavy on my heart that, that so many of the folks I know in my life and you know in your life really don't know Christ. They know about Christ. Uh, they know something of what uh, the Christian faith teaches. But there are just so many people who, who stop at that point of making a commitment or making a decision to follow him. Uh, if you're in that situation today, I, I want to say how much I love you and how uh, much I'll always do for you and be here for you, but, but the one most important thing you need, I can't do for you, and that is for you to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It, if I could do that for you, I would, uh, but I just can't. All I can do is preach the message for you, and I want to preach the message for you today. I, I want you to hear. I want you to understand what Jesus has done for you. In the book of John, Jesus says that he did absolutely everything that he was sent to do. He fulfilled all of God's purposes for his life. And none of us will ever be able to say that, but Jesus could say that. He did everything. He was fully God and he was fully human. He lived a human life just like your life and, and, and my life. He was tempted in every way that we were tempted, and yet he never sinned, not once. He, he never sinned. He was always faithful to God. He never failed to love. Actually, there's never anyone ever who could raise any sort of criticism or complaint against him. He was a totally innocent, totally perfect human being. And yet he was arrested. He was tortured, he was mocked, he was put to death. And, and through all of that, the scriptures say, the tradition says that he was silent as a lamb. He never complained. He never uh, shouted back in anger as they shouted at him. He, he never did. He was silent. He remained silent. And then as the story goes, 
when he was on the cross, after all of these hours of silence, his lips started to move. And do you remember what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. His, his dying words reveal actually what, what, what he was sent to do, what his, what his whole death, what his life was about. It was about the forgiveness of our sins. His dying words were, Father, forgive them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. Father, Father, forgive them. So, so the truth is, everything necessary so that you and I could be forgiven for our sins, Jesus accomplished. Jesus paid that price for our forgiveness. The only thing that remains is for you and me to receive that forgiveness. You, you have to accept that. So look with me in Isaiah chapter 53. Understand something. This is prophecy. Isaiah was a prophet. He's writing, preaching at least seven centuries before Jesus came. So, you know, 700-something years. Now, let that sink in. 700-something years before Jesus ever appears, Isaiah is, is, is delivering this message. This is an Old Testament passage. So, understand, centuries before Jesus would have come. But, but this is a passage that points to Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. It's one of the miracles of Scripture. One of the things that for me uh, makes me more sure of my faith that the simple way that these prophecies hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ would come point to his death and, and point to what he would do for us. Isaiah 53 is one of those passages. It's a sort of a song about the suffering servant of the Lord, and it really begins back in chapter 52, verse 13, but I'm going to start in chapter 53, verse 1. Uh, listen to what these words say. 700-something years before Jesus uh, died on the cross, this is what was prophesied. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The Lord laid on him the, the sins of us all. 700-something years before the cross, this is what the Scriptures point toward. Our sins. Can we talk about it? Jesus said, Father, forgive them for, for they don't know what they're doing. Lots of times we would say that we sinned, but we didn't know what we were doing. I, I suppose a lot of our sins fall in that category. We don't mean to. We don't intend to hurt anybody. It's just we, we don't know what we're doing. 
my mom and dad were, were, were just really getting upset because of all of the telemarketers. Uh, telemarketers can find old people. I don't know how they do it. Or maybe old people are home answering the phone. But, but my mom and dad were getting all these telemarketing calls. They're selling aluminum siding and doing surveys and, you know, talking about, you know, political candidates on and on and on. They got so fed up with it. So I think my brother-in-law, Tommy, was the one who helped them get on the do not call registry. Y'all know about this magic? The, the do not call registry. So we got Don and Diane signed up on the do not call registry. And somehow we thought that that would solve the problem, but it didn't solve the problem. Apparently word wasn't out that they were on the do not call registry. So one day, I mean, they're wearing them out. The phone's just ringing one after another. Somebody's selling one thing, somebody's selling another thing, cable TV, aluminum siding, and on and on it went. And mom was answering the phone because dad doesn't really talk on the phone ever. Uh, But finally, uh, mom was fed up and and dad got fed up. So the next time the phone rang, dad said, die, you just let me get it. So dad walked over, he picked up the phone. He said, listen here, we're on a do not call registry. And if you call us one more time, I will report you. Do you hear me? Don't ever call this number again. Y'all, it was Faye Lawrence. (laughs) It was one of our, it's like the sweetest church lady ever. And my dad's going, don't ever call this number again. I will report you. And there was silence for a minute. And then then Faye said, whatever you say, Brother Don. (laughs) We're on the do not call registry. (laughs) Faye. Faye, I'm sorry, my daddy. Forgive him. He didn't know what he's doing. He, he didn't know. He, did, he didn't know, you guys. I mean, that's probably the second time in his life my dad talked on the phone. I mean, he had no idea. I mean, he was yelling at somebody else. He had no idea it was going to be Faye. I mean, who yells at Faye Lawrence? I mean, nobody yells at Faye. I will report you. I mean, nobody. He just didn't. No, and, and lots of times, I mean, lots of times we sin, but, but we come out saying, I, I didn't know, I didn't mean to, I, I didn't intend that, I, I, sorry. But it's not all like that, is it, you all? Let, let's just be really honest. It's, it's not always like that. Sometimes we know exactly what we're doing. A woman came to her pastor, just broken and, and suicidal. She said, I have nothing left to live for. I have absolutely nothing in my life to live for. And the pastor said, tell me your story. Tell me how you got into this situation. And she told this awful story of, of, of alcoholism and, and addiction. Um, she talked about her financial problems, which were great. She talked about how she just used up everybody in her life. She had uh, opened up, you know, uh, credit cards and, and banking accounts and the names of her children and ruined the credit. I mean, she just had done all of these awful, awful things. And and she knew what she had done. Anyway, the worst part was when she called her son to say, son, I I, I need you. I I need somebody. I'm, I'm thinking about killing myself. Her son said to her, mama, why don't you just go ahead and do it and get out of our hair? Who says that? You know, to their own mother. Who... Who, who is that cruel? 
But then at the same time, you don't know what she put him through either. I mean, it's complicated, isn't it? We live in this awful web of, of my sin and, and your sin. And, and, and I hurt you in ways that, that sometimes I don't intend, but then sometimes I do. I mean, sometimes we can be really, really cruel to each other. And we can't say we didn't know what we were doing. You can't say you didn't know what you were saying. Lewis Smeads is a, an amazing Christian ethicist and, and professor, and he's lived his whole life with, with this secret that, that he finally told one day about being a, a really skinny kid in school. Back in the day when you would have PE class, and then it would kind of force everybody to take a shower. Now, now Lewis was a, just a small kid in, in, in high school, but, but small and really, really embarrassed of his body. And so Lewis would, would, would often just sort of try to make it look like he had taken a shower, but he just did not want to be naked in front of the other boys. It was just, he, he couldn't bear that. It was just this embarrassment for him. So he would come in from PE. He would sort of, sort of change clothes behind the locker door, and then he would wrap a towel around himself, and he'd go hang around the showers for a minute or two, but then he'd go back and just put his clothes back on his sweaty body and, and, and go. It's just, it was his little trick to, to avoid the embarrassment. But one day, Coach Sedman, Muskegee High School, Coach Sedman realized what he was doing. And he said, Smeeds, get over here. And just started yelling at this kid. I mean, just yelling at, at young Lewis. And he said, do you really think that you can go every single day without taking a shower? And the more he yelled, the more all the other boys started paying attention. So eventually, every boy in the PE class was standing around. And the coach the coach forced Lewis to, to strip naked and walk across the locker room and go take a shower and, and, and come back in front of all of those other boys that the coach did that. And Lewis Meads, this Christian professor, Christian ethicist, said late in his life, I have always hated that man. Man, I mean, do you blame him? Can you say that you blame him? I mean, that, that kind of cruelty, embarrassment, humiliation, I mean, that coach would, would be fired and probably, you know, charges pressed these days. But in those days, there was nothing like that. He could just humiliate a skinny kid. And, and that's wrong. It, it, it's sin. But, but Lewis also recognized that it was wrong, that it was sinful for him to spend every day of his life hating him. You can't do that either. It's, 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 it's sin. It's, it's sin. And we live in a world of sinners where, where we all sin. Sometimes we feel guilty for it. And, and sometimes the guilt itself is overwhelming. Uh, some of you right now in, in this house, your primary problem is guilt. It manifests itself in a lot of physical ways or a lot of relational ways, but the bottom line is you cannot get past the shame of what you've done in, in the past. It, it's guilt. And, and a lot of sinners feel that guilt and they exhibit that guilt and, and they continue to struggle under the weight of, of what they have done. But, but honestly, in the world in which we live today, there are just as many sinners, I'm afraid, who don't seem to feel guilty at all. That they just don't feel guilty. And it's very, very difficult to get sinners who don't feel guilty to come back and repent. It's, it's really, really difficult when you don't actually see what you do as, as sin. It's very difficult to, to, to bring you to a place of repentance when honestly you don't think that there's anything in your life to repent over. Yet the scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned everyone to our own sinful way. Somehow in your life, do you not recognize that? I, I don't know exactly how to, how to use language to, to make you see the reality of your sin, but, but do you not just relate to that sense of somehow your life being off track? That, that, that somehow, uh, either perpetually or on a regular basis, you, you find yourself sort of stepping off the, the, the path? Whether or not you recognize that, that God himself has a plan and a purpose for your life, do you not ever just get that sense that there's something not right about me? There, there's something wrong. You ever just have that sense that, that, that no matter what you do, it's not enough? Either you can't please people or you can't please yourself or you can't please the memory of your parents or whatever, that sense that it's just never enough? You ever just get tired of working so hard to, to, to buy things that, 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 that never, ever satisfy you? You remember when you first moved in your house and you thought it was the most beautiful house in the world and you were just thinking how you thought you could live there forever? But, but honestly, within the first year, you're already thinking about another house because nothing for you ever satisfies you for long. Do you ever just, ever just get, get tired of that sense in which that hunger in you is never, ever really satisfied? That tendency that you have to never want to be by yourself or never want to, never want to have to, to think. You, you like noise going all the time. Or, or when you lay down at night and just start thinking, you, you, your brain won't shut off. That, that, that sense that you just can't be at peace in your own skin. Do you ever just wonder if maybe that's not the way you're supposed to live your whole life? Have you ever just, ever just stopped to recognize that there's just something off in you? The way that in relationships you never ever really seem to forget yourself and love other people or, or that way in which no matter what, you can never, ever, ever forgive. We're all sinners. We all, like sheep, go astray from the Lord who is the shepherd of our souls, but somehow we walk away from him. We will not walk in that path that he has laid out for us. It's expressed in as many ways as, as there are people in this room. I mean, we all have different sins and different ways of straying away, but don't you ever stop and realize that you are one of those who stray. All we like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Who's he talking about? This is Isaiah. It's seven centuries before Jesus comes along. But somehow he's allowed to see. Somehow he's allowed to know what God is going to do. And God is going to do something about the sins of the world. It was always in God's plan. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't God's plan B. God had the cross in his sights from the very first moment of creation. He knew, he knew, he knew that we would be like sheep that would go astray. He knew that we would refuse to surrender our lives to his authority. He knew that we would rather be God of our own lives than surrender to the only God that there is. He knew that. So centuries before the cross, centuries before God's plan of salvation is revealed, and it's absolutely Shocking! It's, it's impossible to believe. And this is what Isaiah says in verse 1. Who's going to believe this? Who's going to believe this? Who, who's going to believe the message? Who is going to imagine that God is going to save the world through a suffering servant? Now, Isaiah didn't know his name then. We know his name now. His name is Jesus. 
Who would have thought? Who could have seen this coming? I mean, the fact that the world is full of sinners, it seems like God's task is simple. God punishes sin. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. I mean, it's simple. Sin has consequences, and the consequences would be death. And if all of us are sinners, all of us sin in our own way, all of us sin and stubborn in our sin, and we've chosen our sin, it's simple. God should just punish the world. We should all be condemned. Wages of sin is death. There's nothing complicated about that. We know what we are, sinners. We know what we do, sin. And we know that God in his holiness and righteousness, he must punish sin. Now, some people get hung up right there. They say, well, if God is God, and if God is love, and if God wants to forgive sinners, why doesn't he just forgive sinners? Why must anybody suffer? Why must anybody pay the price? If, if God's heart is so big and his, his instinct is to forgive, then why doesn't he just forgive? I, I mean, I ask that question because that's the kind of guy I am. I just forgive. I, I just do. It, we're just lucky that our son had Casey in the house because Casey was the disciplinarian. I mean, I would come in from work, and, and, and I mean, that kid was in timeout like every day. Just every day. I mean, and I don't understand it. Wade would always act up around Casey. I mean, what a moron. I mean, it's like, dude, wait till I get home. I'll let you do anything. Why? Why are you poking the bear? Why? Why do you poke the bear? You know, I mean, didn't he spend like the first eight years? I mean, Casey put him in timeout today if he's here, you know, just because he probably deserves it in his mind, you know. You know, that's just not me. Yeah, I mean, I'm just really soft. I mean, I just, I let everything go. That's just how I am. Man, we did have a son, and he has, you know, we have disciplined our son. He's a, he's a great kid. He's always been a good kid. But, man, those of you who raise daughters, I, I don't even know. I, I couldn't, I don't think I could. You know, Matt Betts one day we're running, and he said something about spanking one of his girls last night. And I'm like, I stop. I say, you spanked her? I mean, y'all seen Matt Betts' girls? Could you just pick one out to spank? I can't even imagine spanking one. I mean, who could? Who could? That's what I said to Matt. You spanked her? You know? Man, one day little Reagan was in my office and she's eating Starburst, you know, like, like, like eight at a time because that's what I let her do. You know, just, you know, any kid in my office, man, there's, I'm just giving him candy. You know, that's just how I do. And Reagan had dropped all her paper in the floor and I'll pick that up later, y'all. I'll pick that up later. But Matt walked in. Said, pick up those Starbucks papers. And Reagan just looks at him. Pick those up. Pick those up, girl. Pick them up. You know? And I'm thinking, please, Reagan, just pick them up. Just pick them up. He is going to go all Mississippi when you're behind, right here. (laughs) In my office. Ain't that right, Matt Betts? I mean, man, Matt uses the word whoop. He says he whoops them. I'm thinking, whoop. Oh. You know, those little girls, you know, whoop. Um, Matt says, I don't have to live with them. He says, that's the difference. You don't have to live with them, you know. And I'm sure that's true. We should say, why doesn't God just forgive everything? If, If he just wants to love and forgive sinners, why can't God just be like your grandmother, you know, and just let everybody come in and everything's okay, no rules, you know, just let everybody run wild and it's okay. You know, why can't God just, if God is love, then why doesn't God just forgive sin? But because God is also holy. 
And God is the moral governor of the universe. You understand, when this creation reflects his nature, and his nature is holy, and his nature is love, which means in the world which God has created, love must reign supreme. And everything that opposes love, or everything that contradicts love, or everything that fights against love must be punished, must be destroyed, because God is love. Because God is righteous, and creation, the universe, must reflect his righteousness. It must continue to, to, to maintain God's own integrity as creator and governor of the universe. You understand that? God just can't let there be no rules. God, God can't just simply say, oh, okay, I'll be loved, but if you want to be a hater, you just can live your life any way you want. No, God wouldn't be God if he just let you run and rip, and if he had no rules, if there were no moral compass in the universe. Now, the very same people say, why doesn't God just forgive sin? Those are the same people that after something like 9-11 are saying, where is God? You know, I mean, when something evil happens to you or when you begin to see the, the, the extent of human sin, then all of a sudden you're like, where is God? Why does God let this happen? Because even in your heart, there's something in you that cries out for justice. You want to believe that, that if there's a God on the throne, then, then somehow this universe bends toward justice and that somehow the, the wicked will be punished, somehow evil will be destroyed, and somehow good is going to win out, love's going to win. I mean, we all I want to believe that, that if God is in control, somehow at the end of this thing, love must win, right? Which means if God is on the throne and love is going to win, and if, and if evil is going to be punished, that means not a single one of us will be left standing. Because we're sinners. Because every single one of us in our lives, we're not capable of living a life in line with his holiness. We're not capable of living with the kind of pure and perfect love that comes from the heart of the Father. We're sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. We cannot, will not, we refuse to walk that path. So God does an amazing thing. Wages of sin is death, right? So somebody's got to die, right? But God is love and doesn't want any of us to perish. So what does he do? God comes down. Now, we often say God sent his son, God sent Jesus. And yeah, that, that's the biblical language, but you also have to understand that Jesus is God. That, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. So this isn't, you know, God picking out one and sending somebody else. No, this is God coming personally. God comes personally. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected of man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was crushed for our sins. God laid upon him the sins of us all. God took upon himself 
the, the sins of us all. God, who is love and God, who is holy, is not willing that any should perish. So God does something that Isaiah says, nobody's even going to believe this. God comes down. God becomes one of us, an, an ordinary human being. It's absolutely amazing. An ordinary human being. Now, now back up. In the old days, they just sacrificed lambs and goats and bulls. You remember that? Why didn't that work? Honestly, they did. For a long, long time, this is how they paid for sins. They'd bring an animal, and they'd slaughter that animal in worship. I mean, seriously, actual blood would flow in the actual temple. The blood would flow, and they considered the shedding of that blood somehow the, the remission of sins. So they would sacrifice animals. I mean, if there's got to be a death for sins, why not let's just pick out an animal and, and slaughter an animal? If something's got to die, let's just make it an animal, a, a lamb, a bull, a goat, something like that. Now, that was the system for a long, long time. But, but even Scripture points out that that can't work. That doesn't work. What's the problem with that? Real simply, the blood of lambs and goats can't save sinners since lambs and goats can't sin. Lambs and goats don't sin. So they can't stand in my place. They can't take on my sins because it's not even possible for them to sin. They're animals. They're lambs and goats. Scripture says that that whole sacrificial system was only intended to be an annual reminder of our sin. We would see the blood and understand that sin has consequences. But there was never even the slightest possibility that one of those lambs would take away my sin or your sin. It's just not possible. The lamb and the goat cannot take my place. We're not the same. We're not the same at all. So God comes down, Jesus comes, and he bears our weaknesses. Jesus comes, and he becomes exactly like we are. He's capable of sin. Now, he never does sin, and that's what makes it amazing. That's what makes it miraculous. That's what makes him God. He can come down and be put in, in, in a body like my body, and he can live a life like my life and be tempted in all the ways that I've been tempted, all the ways you've been tempted, and yet he never sins. He could have sinned. It was possible. He was human, but he never, ever sins. You understand, Jesus was the only innocent human being. I look at Matt's Betts' daughters and say, how, how could you whoop them? How could you possibly? They're little angels. And he says, you don't live with them. You know, there are no innocent human beings. Some of us are better than others of us. Just take a look down your pew. I mean, if we compare ourselves to one another, I can always find one of you that's going to make me look awesome. But I could also find one of you that's going to make me look awful. We don't compare ourselves to each other. The comparison is God's own standard of holiness by which we all fall short. We don't measure up to God's standard, but Jesus does measure up to God's standard. Jesus is the only innocent human being, the only, sin, only innocent human being that has ever lived. That makes him the only possibility, the only one who could take your place, who could take my place. He is the only one. And he saves us. So how does he save us? Well, notice, this is the shocking part. He was despised and rejected, the Scripture says. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. 
Now, if I were God coming to earth, y'all know how I'd do it. I mean, I would come with a parade. I would come with like interviews on television, and I would be awesome. I would want everybody to know my power. I would want everybody to know who I am. I would, we'd turn out the lights and I would glow in the dark. I mean, I would do, I'd be walking on water, like everywhere I go. I mean, I would be making sure that everybody knows my power, my glory. I mean, I would blind you with my glory if I could. Just, I mean, I, I would, I would, I would put your eyes out with my glory. But when God comes, when God comes as Christ, this is not what he does. Actually, if you want to be honest, if you want to read the whole song here, it turns out he's ugly. He comes ugly and weak. And we don't like that. Isn't that interesting? We turned our backs on him. We turned our backs on him because he wasn't attractive, because he wasn't beautiful. Because honestly, when we looked at him, we saw ugly. But that's the miracle of it. That was our ugliness he was wearing. Did you understand that? He, by his very nature, God, you understand? He's glorious and powerful, yet he came to be one of us. And we saw him weak and vulnerable and ugly, and we turned our backs on him. He did not come to overwhelm us with any kind of irresistible attraction or, or, or power. I mean, I would use power, wouldn't you? I mean, power. I mean, I would just knock everybody out, you know, with some sort of sleep ray, you know. And, and, and I mean, I would. I mean, don't y'all ever watch television? I mean, it's, it's just, I would do power, but that is not at all how God saves us. It's, it's, it's what Isaiah 53 says. It's beautiful. Christ doesn't save us by irresistible attractiveness or by overwhelming power. He saves us with his own self giving love. He gives himself. We didn't even know that, that, that when we saw him as ugly, we were looking in a mirror. You understand? It was our ugliness he was wearing. When we saw his punishment for sins, we didn't seem to understand that he didn't deserve punishment. That, that, was, that was our punishment. He did that for us. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's past to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Do you understand? The wages of sin is death, and you are a sinner which means you are condemned to death. There will be a death for your sins. There will be a price paid for your sins. You're not going to escape here without facing the penalty of your sin. But, but here's the thing. Someone took your place. Jesus took your place. He did that for you. And God accepts his punishment for your punishment. God accepts his death in the place of your death. God accepts Jesus. You understand that? He accepts his punishment in place of your punishment. Christ's death in place of, of your death. This is the gospel. This is the miracle. 
So everything necessary for your salvation was already in God's plan from the very beginning. Everything. And everything necessary for your salvation, every price to be paid, you understand, Christ has already paid that. So God, by his amazing plan of salvation, has seen fit to let Jesus save you. Jesus saves you. So God accepts Jesus' punishment for yours, Jesus' death for yours. God lets Jesus save you. So the only thing left is for you to let Jesus save you. Well, if he wants to save me, he should just save me. No, no, you don't understand. God is a God of such incredible love and perfection. And he has given you your freedom, and you have freely chosen your sin. You have, like a sheep, wandered away, but you have chosen. You have chosen your rebellion against God. You choose that. And since you have chosen your sin, you must also choose your salvation. God's not going to work you like a puppet. He's not going to stun you with the sleep ray and then do it in your heart against your will. He is simply going to make the offer. And then wait for you to respond. Some of you have been waiting a long time. Why? Why? Do you not understand the consequences of your sin? Do you not understand that when you choose a path that is not God's path, do you not understand where that road leads? Do you somehow think that you're going to be the exception and that somehow it's going to be different for you? Do you somehow think that you're going to die and never, ever accept the offer of salvation and somehow God is still going to smile on you in the end? It cannot work that way. God has taken on himself the punishment for your sin. God himself has borne wrath so that you yourself can know forgiveness and grace. It's a gift and it's free. But you have to accept it. I'm asking you this morning to uh, take that step. It is, in some ways, the easiest thing in the world to do. It's simply saying yes to God, yes to this offer of salvation. Most of us do it with a kind of prayer, and there's not a magic prayer. It's not like words I can say, you know, repeat after me, say this. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's more something that's going to turn in your heart. But, but, but you have to choose that. You have to make that happen. You have to want Christ, and you have to want forgiveness. You have to want Him, and then you have to choose Him and call out to Him. You You ask. Simply say, Jesus, I, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. I know that you've died for my sins. I just want to accept that offer of forgiveness. I want you to now be the Lord and master of my life. I want to walk the, the straight path that you lay out for my feet. I mean, it, it's just something like that, something like that. But, but until you cross that line, and until you take that step, until you say yes to this offer of salvation, you are still in your sins. Why would you wait? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I just can't believe that you have done this for me.
Lord, nobody else knows what you and I know about me, but Lord Jesus, I know the depth of my sin, and and I know what I deserve, and yet I know what you have given me. And all I can do is just say thank you. There really aren't words to say thank you for this offer of salvation, for, for, for the forgiveness of my sins. There's just no words to describe, Lord, what it means to know that though I continue to stray from the path, Lord Jesus, you, by your death, have, have purchased such grace for me. Lord, I, I love you, and I love what you have done for me. And I want others to know this too. I want others in this house and in the sound of my voice, Lord, I want them to know that that freedom that comes with forgiveness. I want them to know, Lord, that that, that there's such joy, such joy that comes when we make our peace with you through Jesus, Lord. I just want others to know. So Holy Spirit, Move in this house right now. Move in this cafe. Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of those listening and praying with me right now. Lord, move in their hearts, Lord. If there are those listening and those praying along with me who have never accepted you as Lord and Savior, never accepted your offer of forgiveness, never simply acknowledged that you've died for them and accepted that gift of salvation, Lord, let today be the day of salvation. Lord Jesus, move in their hearts. Give them the grace to understand and the grace to say yes and the grace, Lord, to start this amazing adventure of walking with you. Lord Jesus, you have done it all for us. We continue to be sinners. We continue to be unfit and and unworthy. And let, Lord Jesus, you have done this for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will save all of those who call upon your name in this house today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for the sake of sinners. Amen.